0: Cracking a cold one open. Oh, fuck. There goes shit. the iPad. Shit. Good. Bet you weren't expecting that on a cold open. Is it good? Yeah, we're good. I hope you can hear me yelling shit in the back. <laughs> yeah, no, th- I picked up all that. <laughs> please, and I will be leaving it in. Please
1: leave that in. Of course I am. <laughs> Who do you think I am? Oh, yeah. My iPad literally flipped face first off the back of the couch face down as she was getting
0: ready to open a cold one with girls
1: yes we got orange we'll start the drinks early in this episode yeah because if you if these are available in your area run to buy some devil's backbone now makes basically cocktails in a can Mm -hmm. but they're better than like those really shitty gas station ones that have existed for a long time delicious so they will fuck you up i'm
0: looking forward to getting more fucked up they are
1: seven and a half percent in a can
0: hell yeah and you know what i had for breakfast a protein smoothie you know what i had for lunch a protein smoothie Uh, so i'm i have high hopes i had a protein
1: i had protein cereal and some stir fry that i made that did not fill me up so Mm. we're off to a great start and then a donut that a customer brought in oh that's nice of them. yeah it was really nice really good donut all right, what do you got to say for the cold open? Oh, yeah, it's my turn. I don't know. I just almost killed my iPad. <laughs> well, I guess that suffices. I don't think I've mentioned this. This is not a question, but just yeah. a life update and that I have Harry Styles tickets. This is a monumental moment. It really is. And I, that album's good. It was the one great thing to come out of being home with COVID for four days. Was I was at home on my couch with literally nothing to do Yeah. when they went live. Ticketmaster fucking sucks, but I can't control that. I kept putting things in my cart and they would sell. And say where it is. Oh, in Madison Square Garden, (sighs) which I always wanted to go to. I'm very excited. You know what I
0: went to Madison Square Garden for when I was a kid? No. To see a Christmas um, story. No, not a Christmas story. What's the... Christmas Carol? Christmas Carol. Thank you. A Christmas Carol starring Tim Curry. Oh, Oh, it was so cool. I loved I had an obsession with Tim Curry back then. And then I saw him in Rocky Horror Picture Show, and that just boop, boop. You're boop, like, boop, this boop, makes boop. sense. Yeah. So, but yeah, Madison Square Garden is yeah. really cool.
1: So stay tuned in September because we'll definitely be doing a bonus episode on that. Oh, yeah. I also have
0: a life update. For some reason, against my better judgment, I bought Blue Ridge <laughs> Rockfest tickets.
1: Here we go again. They're the uh, same weekend, too. They
0: are the same weekend, so we're going to have a lot of good drama. We're going to have to have, like, two-hour session.
1: We are. Just we'll have, let let the audio go, and we'll see what happens. We'll have a Harry episode and a Blue Ridge Rock yes. episode, because those are two very different audiences. Yes, they are. But
0: to give you an update since my last bitch fest.
1: <laughs> they're under they, new management.
0: They're under new management. They are at a place called the Virginia International...
1: Raceway? Raceway. Yeah, Raceway. Is that where we went for no. work? Okay, different no. Raceway.
0: No, we went to the drag race play.
1: Our... I was convinced they were the same, but anyway.
0: No, they're different because this one's in Danville. Oh. Kind of near Danville. Okay. um, But it's in a better location. It's going to be managed a lot better, it looks like.
1: It's in a location actually meant to have cars parking in it.
0: Yes, yes. So I'm going Friday to Sunday, but you know what they fucking did to me? I'm not going to see In This Moment or Spirit Box.
1: Are they in the middle of the day? They're on Thursday. That's dumb. Because I took
0: Friday off.
1: Yeah. They're on Thursday. That's dumb.
0: I'm so mad. But That's okay. <laughs> I'm going to see Thrice. He is legend. Tenacious D. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, yeah. I forgot oh he's my coming. God, I'm so excited. I love Jack Black so much. That'll I can't be wait. good. That'll be good. But anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I told you the story, but one of my coworkers, she and her husband went last year. Uh huh. They had a truck, which you know everyone parked in a mud pit. Mm-hmm. They, they started having people ask them, "Hey, can you tow us out? We're stuck." They made back their money they spent on tickets. I'm sure they did. They made $400 in one day, <laughs> pulling people out of the parking lot. That's the pit. way to do it. That's the way to do it. So you can guarantee they're bringing their truck back this year if they go. Yeah. No kidding. Anyway. I'm Leah. I'm Bethan, and this is Shuaraku.
0: Where are they getting a dub in a CPS executive <laughs> meeting? No, <laughs> bitch! Don't touch my thermostat. The ghost be like, pull up, before I haul you, let me turn down the thermostat." Who <laughs> <This> is this <bad. laughs> band?
1: We're on page one, guys. This is Shuaraku.
0: I have a very odd memory with this band. It was 2003, Damn. and I was watching Seven Nation Army music video
1: um, confused and i was
0: confused because this was a band with only two members and i didn't like that for some reason
1: (laughs) (laughs) that didn't feel right
0: that's not how a band's supposed to work (laughs) um but i matured i think and now i see why that is so beautiful in the world that is white stripes i'm also side note not going to talk a lot about like after they break up and jack white goes solo i'm not going to talk about that because that can probably be its own episode probably so it's just better to save that material honestly
1: and his work with loretta lynn
0: yeah oh i covered a smidge of that in Mm. here i have a cool fact for you on that but um there's plenty i have nine pages in here finished it an hour even though i don't watch (laughs) an hour and 30 minutes before i came here (laughs)
1: It was so, procrastination week. On we, uh, In our defense, we are recording a week earlier than normal.
0: We are recording a week earlier. And yesterday I was going to write it. This is the most tangent episode. I. It swear. really is. Whatever. You know how it goes here. I was going home and I was when I got home, I threw some marinated chicken on the grill. And this is my stupid ass mistake because I wasn't feeling good. I had a migraine. I just wasn't thinking.
1: You didn't test click your tongs.
0: I didn't test click the tongs, did it twice. Nope, didn't do that. But there was too much oil on the chicken and I just was nothing. Because normally when I do a marinade, it's just kind of like a little bit of oil. But it was too oily and I just didn't even cross my mind. So then I look outside and my whole entire grill is on fire. And it's right next to my banister. So it was about to catch on fire, the banister. So I had to take a shovel and move it away from the banister. Then I had to go under it and turn off the propane. And then there's a bunch of flames coming out. And I had to call Josh, who's running <laughs> at 20 miles away from me. And I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Past this point, what do I do? Just
1: just let it burn.
0: Well, apparently I have to open the lid, which kind of scared me because I know like with certain fires you have to yeah. leave and suffocate it. Apparently it's opposite. Oh, and oil. so I opened Please. it up. And then I got baking soda. So once it started dying down... Sorry, throwing it on. So anyway, so that's why I was late writing this. (laughs) Because that was pretty traumatic on me. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of shaking and crying a little bit. Because I was like, I almost fucking burnt my house down. Yeah, don't
1: burn your house down.
0: Yeah, it terrified me. But anyway. So let's cover this band. Because like I said, I got nine pages to go through.
1: And we got a whole other episode after this.
0: Yes, we do. The selling point of this band... It's usually about this time when I'm covering the humble beginnings. There's like four to six members and there's only two. It's beautiful. And we're going to start with Meg White. Um, there's not a lot about Meg White. And you'll see why as we kind of go through the outline why that is. So there's not that much about her personal life, both early life and onward. But Megan Martha White was born on December 10th, 1974 in Gross Point farms michigan which was outside detroit growing up she was really shy and kept to herself however one of her music heroes was bob dylan Mm. which we'll talk about that influence later because that's also one of jack's um influences is bob dylan makes sense after high school uh, she didn't want to go to college but wanted to become a chef so she took a job at a restaurant called memphis smoke which served barbecue as it should i of course looked up the location Cause you know I'm a researcher.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and their catchphrase was it it was like on a corner lot and it was a little pig with a little chef's hat on. Aww. And the phrase was swine dining. Oh, I don't uh, like that. Ah! Take no barbecue joints. That's how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> swine dining. Anyway. Um, so this is a bit unorthodox. I don't I went back and read it a couple times to make sure I read it correctly, but they had open mic nights at this barbecue place, which doesn't seem like the correct venue.
1: What the fuck is up, Denny? <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Barbecue during the day. <laughs> the Mosh pit at night. Um, but so they have an open mic night and in walks a kid named Jack Gillis who is there to read his poetry. Let's go over to Jack Gillis, shall we? Jack Anthony Gillis was born on July 9th, 1975 in Detroit, Michigan. First, his mom worked for the Archdiocese of Detroit as like the secretary. Okay. And her dad worked in this, his dad rather worked in the same building and was maintenance. So I'm pretty sure that's how they met. Um, Which when you have a parent who works in religion and just in general, you're the youngest kid And you happen to graduate confirmation class, and I speak from experience, Mm. you will become an altar kid. Mm. There's just no way around it. Like for me, when I went to my charismatic Lutheran church days, because I don't have time to explain how that worked. um, We didn't have altar kids because we're Lutheran, but we did have kids who were in charge of lighting the The candles. I
1: was one too. Yes,
0: (laughs) we had we had six. Three on each side, and at the beginning of the service, you light it inward outward to represent the Bible opening, and then you had to go outward inward to represent the Bible closing.
1: We just had two candles, one on either side. Oh
0: no, 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 no! We we have to have purpose in the charismatic Lutheran. Most
1: Sundays, I was the only <laughs> congregation. <one
0: there. laughs> but so, as it were, he's an altar kid, and apparently, he was very good in his role <laughs> because. A movie called The Rosary Murders filmed at his church, and he got an uncredited role <laughs> in the movie.
1: They're like, we really need an, an altar boy. Do you have anyone? And they're like, actually, there's this kid. He's perfect.
0: He's perfect. Per shoo-in.
1: You don't have to train him. Shoo-in. He can just do it.
0: Um, anyway, so he got involved in music from his older siblings. Um, by the way, he's the youngest of 10 kids. Okay. Yeah. A lot of kids. Um, a lot of these older siblings would play instruments and they'd discard them and then, you know, Jack would get the hamming downs. Um, He started playing drums, actually. That was his, I think that was one of his main instruments for a while. Um, on a kit in the attic. He also would listen to classical music, blues, which is a major influence in his life. Like, Lead Belly is one of his mm. ultimate favorites. Um, and then he'd listen to rock bands like Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. So going back to his upbringing... He almost did not go to an ordinary public high school. In fact, he got accepted into a a, uh, seminary in Wisconsin, and he was going to become a priest.
1: What a career change.
0: But at the last second, he decided to go to public school. His reason was because he had just got a new amp, and he was pretty sure they wouldn't allow it.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. Hell yeah, brother in Christ. Hell yeah. (laughs) My brother in Christ. <laughs> you could not give up your amp.
0: I understand. I I understand. Trust me. Um, so here's this teenager. He's playing drums, guitar, trombone and band, and writing poetry. Also very unrelated, but I have like nowhere to put this. He was in an upholstery mentorship on the side i don't know if this is at high school or right after he's high school he's got a
1: lot of side quests he does
0: <laughs> jack white is the link in breath of the wild um of the music world yes you can either follow the main quest and you're like oh here's some postry. oh here's a side bu- here's a side band oh laura lynn is wants to hang out and get tea yeah. lots of side quests yeah. you can choose from on this journey but um so he ha- he's studying upholstery and his mentor introduced him to punk which ultimately changed the game for him. Mm. So anyway, going back to swine dining of mm. Memphis Smoke. Um, he walks in to read some poetry and meets Meg White. And the two of them start going to coffee houses together, record stores all over the place. They start dating and all that kind of stuff. But when jack finally graduated his upholstery mentorship he actually goes and starts his own business and it's called the third uh third man upholstery their slogan is your furniture's not dead
1: <laughs> i love it
0: <laughs> it didn't last long like they and en- he closed down the business like it actually was open for a little bit he closed it down like after the second album dropped and 1999, 2000, one of those spots, um, but it also didn't last long because he was complacent about the build, the business, and he would like draw bills with crayons and write poetry under the furniture. <laughs> he, was upholstering, so yeah. side quests, like we're saying, side quests. He got some good XP, yes, from doing that.
1: Loved up his crafting,
0: yes, yes, yes. So it's nineteen ninety four, and him and Meg are hanging out, dating doing furniture stuff. And then on top of all of that, Jack White is in something called a cow punk band.
1: What is cow you, punk?
0: You heard that correct. Cow punk. I'm going to explain it to you, but let me tell you the name of this band. Cause I love it so much. It was called Goober and the peas.
1: <laughs> I don't know if that's I, the best or the worst. But I love
0: it. I love it regardless. It's weird. It's and very ironic. Weird. I don't know. I'm a fan of it. Um, and this is one of the reasons I love punk and metal. It's like the name fusions we do in the scene. Like we have explored many times in this show. So of course I look it up. Cowpunk is basically country slash Southern rock played by punk kids who didn't want to be associated with the country scene of that
1: time. Um, So it's the opposite of John Mellencamp.
0: Correct. Correct. (laughs) This is not to be confused with Psychobilly, which is, quote, loud, frantic, psychobilly music. I mean, rockabilly music. Excuse me.
1: Okay. I'm just picturing really intense. But it is a sub-genre, sub-sub. So
0: there's punk. Yes. There's British punk and there's American punk. Okay. First starts with the British punk. That's, you know, if we're going to, since we're talking about priesthood, that's the Abraham
1: that's sex pistols.
0: That's the Abraham of the situation is British punk. And then had many sons.
1: Oh, okay. Many sons yeah.
0: had this is Father a very <laughs> religious episode. I <laughs> know maybe that's why I had DC talk in my head earlier maybe. today. Maybe that's the tie. But many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you.
1: Rockabilly is one of them and so are you.
0: Psycho Rockabilly. Cowpunk. Cowpunk. Queer Punk. Uh I could just name all. I don't know all the punk names, but anyway, there's a lot of them. Um, but for Goober and the peas, Jack is on drums for the band. They also have all different little names. Like one of them is called Goober. One's called like boss Haas or something like that. And so Jack's name was doc. And to give you a summary of the band, and this is all I could give you. They had a song called hot woman, cold beer, (laughs)
1: That could I, be a country
0: song at any year. I have nothing else to give you. If that doesn't explain it, I can't, I can't go any further. I can't do anything for you. Okay. So then we move over to 1996. And Meg and Jack will get married. Aww. And Jack, technically unconventionally, but you know, whatever, takes Meg's name. Okay, that makes sense now. Legally like, changes it.
1: Where did white come from? That mm-hmm. makes
0: sense. We'll just talk more later. So let's get into their first set of albums. Well, before I do that, let me explain how this relationship came to be. So Jack is playing in all different bands. He's doing upholstery. And one day on a whim, Meg just like takes to the set and Jack's like, yeah, why don't you play around a little bit? And she's just doing, you know, different drum patterns, you know, and Jack heard it and he goes, this makes sense for these guitar riffs I'm making. And so... They're like, hey, let's try it. And they just started hanging out in the Detroit scene and the underground scene playing together. Just the two of them. What's also fun later in life when they get big and such, they never had a set list. They would literally. This is nuts. okay? this is weird human connection shit. They would literally just have cues that they could give each other to know which song to go to next.
1: That's so chaotic.
0: I know, but it worked for some reason. That's so chaotic. I agree. I agree. But yeah, that's how they did it. So let's move on to their first album.
1: For their first and second
0: album, there's really not much. So I'm only going to lightly touch on it. But for the first album, it's self-titled. It drops in 1999. It's a big underground Detroit album. Like you have this on a concert and are going to share it with only the couple brave souls who quote get it mm-hmm. you know um and then the Salkin album is called Dave Steel or something like that basically it's named after this I think it's Austrian artists who invented this style of like you know kind of like the random blocks of color that you would yeah. see in the 70s and paintings that's that's that style okay. and the album cover for that Is kind of of that in red, black and white, Mm. of course, which is their signature color. I also forgot to tell you where White Stripes got their name from. It was Meg's favorite candy was Peppermint's. So they just did. They weren't going to call themselves Peppermint, but they're like, let's do White Stripes.
1: Interesting. I never would have guessed that. Yeah,
0: that's how they got their name. Can't believe I blew over that. But that's what you get for procrastinating. Yes. But I read it. So I was able to pull it out. Um. So anyway, second album comes out, and as you know, as it goes in any cowpunk scene, they don't like them anymore. Nah. Why? Because they're on the rise. In an interview from Rolling Stone in two thousand five, which we will reference a bit, not all for good reasons, Jack said, "quote We were everybody's secret band." He says. Then our second album came out, and it was like, oh, they're not good anymore.
1: Oh my god.
0: Pretty much. Um, This album, though, is a cult classic. Um, It would chart in 2002. um, After, like, that first big hit of Fell in Love, A Girl was released, which we'll talk about in a sec. Um, Before we get there, though, in the early 2000s, something sad does happen that changes, doesn't change the band. It could have changed the band. After a few years of marriage, Jack and Meg filed for a divorce. There never has been a reason disclosed, but, but if I had to personally guess, they were super young. Yeah. People get some, they were probably 19. You do stupid stuff when you're 19. It's just
1: crazy they sit together as a band.
0: I know. You
1: still just to see that person literally every day. Well, honestly,
0: they parted really well on good terms. That's good. It. At least that's what I'm picking up.
1: Yeah. Oh, obviously. They stay together yeah. as a band.
0: Exactly. But um, they're... I mean, also, they're just so kind to each other, too. Like, I was... As I was reading through and I was, like, seeing how they were interacting with each other, like, I was like, holy shit. Like, you would think they were still married by how kind Aww. they are to each other. So that was really cool to see. After that happens and they divorce, they decide to tell the press moving forward that they are brother and sister and that Meg is Jack's big sister. Interesting. Anyway, we'll come back to this more. I will definitely say like a lot of people compare Jack White's playing to blues and he loves blues. Like he loves blues mm-hmm. and you can definitely hear elements, um, but not like big elements that say oh that's blues but on this album in all defensive purposes it's blues band in a garage rock setting mm. um their song hello operator 100 percent a blues song so that's pretty cool uh the next album though this is when the band starts arriving to their signature sound white stripe sound in my opinion uh their third album's called white blood cells it was recorded in three days. Jeez. It also was mastered in a studio for the first time, but they didn't want it to sound too good. <laughs>
1: it's gonna be a little messy.
0: Now, up to this point, there is some very interesting creative mojo going on in this band. The bands I really think Jack White has more of the obsession than Meg, but the band is obsessed with the number three.
1: Hmm.
0: Hence third man upholstery mm. recorded in three days
1: mm. three
0: colors mm. schemes um, later on down the road Jack White wrote a song for Loretta Lynn it times out to exactly three minutes and 33 seconds
1: This is like Taylor Swift on the mini version with her session with 13
0: yeah and so one of the reasons that a lot of people have spectated and I would say like this is definitely true um the band is very big on doing nuts and bolts in music so when you're listening to their music you only hear three things a drum a guitar and vocals mm. or it's only going to be three things mm-hmm. and the reason why they do this is jack white said there's something like creative about limiting yourself mm-hmm. like you get too creative if you have too much at your disposal, like it just stops your creativity. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you limit yourself to little things, it actually like boosts your creativity. That makes sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. Like when he said that, I was like, Oh damn, I never thought about that. Yeah. Because a lot of music today, like he referenced this one track he was looking at, at a studio had a hundred tracks of just guitar.
1: Nope. And many. he's
0: just like, why are we doing this? Why are we wasting our time? doing all these takes and tracks Mm -hmm. and building these things he's like you could do so much more with just three things and getting to those basics um so a good example of this the biggest song from this album fell in love with a girl did you ever see the music video for this growing Mm -hmm. up i remember seeing it in an ad on fuse because i watched fuse a lot as a kid not mtv because you can't watch that as a as a warp tour kid, I
1: was watching CMT at this time in my oh. life. Oh, so
0: <laughs> you were? You, I'm sorry to say this, you were an Internet Explorer in the corner. I
1: was. I didn't have Internet.
0: <laughs> so, oh, that's fair. Anyway, the video is made out of stop motion Legos. Cute. It's really, but not like little Lego man walking. It's like actually building a frame out of Legos. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Um, another hit off this album is "We Are Gonna Be Friends." which I know as the uh, intro to Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> um, so if you can't tell, this is a 2000s nostalgia fest. I can't turn it off. As far as for sound, they were going full garage band with this. And it's just full of power chords. It's full of big, loud cymbal clashes. And this is where like the White Stripes story starts for me. Um, and the media begins to take notice of them even more than before, and they start getting national presence. Some called this album a return to rock at its simplest elements. Um, and critics right away notice that limiting sound, and they're like, "This is amazing because it's like they're limiting themselves down to the basics." Someone went as far as to say, "This is going to kill new metal and boy bands."
1: I kind of did, kinda honestly. Did.
0: They're not wrong because White Stripes started a whole chain of like garage indie rock. Yeah. And then Warp Tour came around. So man, they're not wrong. Do we still have
1: Sync? No, not really. Not really. Just also, on TikTok the, for nostalgia reasons. The Backstreet Boys are currently on tour. So mm? yes. Doing what? Touring. Where? Who? In Charlotte tomorrow. Where? what yes that's crazy it's
0: ironic that this album is what puts them on the national map because the album cover is just them being bombarded by paparazzi but they're wearing like a black bodysuit mesh mm-hmm. thing and then it also sold five hundred thousand copies it peaked at number 61 on the billboard 200 um however over time like billboard rolling stone av cub would like rank this album pretty high like on their list of like best 2000 records. um, It's also number 497 on the Rolling Stone 100 Greatest Album. So we'll get there eventually. Eventually
1: in 10 eventually years. Eventually
0: we'll be there. But this next album is the pinnacle of the White Stripes career. Because their next album is called Elephant. It took a little bit longer, two weeks to record. Oh. Really hope it was just 13 days to keep in theme.
1: Yeah, they messed Probably up. Probably
0: was. Um Jack also uses a lot of vintage gear. I mean, like I said, he's obsessed with blues, so of course he'd pull in vintage gear. Um because he liked a certain fuzziness. Yeah. It gave the track. Um as far as theme and this kind of changes as you get to later albums, but for this one at least, the themes really come from like how they can push themselves to that ba- back to basics creativity. Mm-hmm. That's the theme. What can we do with three elements? And this album is no different. A perfect example of this three elements is Seven Nation Army. So you know that bass lick that's in there.
1: One of the most iconic bass lines of all time.
0: What if I told you that wasn't a bass guitar?
1: I didn't ever. I didn't think it was a bass guitar, and then someone said it was a bass line, and I was like, "It sounds like a bass, but
0: it's not a bass." Is it drop, Detuned? Nope. Oh. He took a vintage acoustic guitar with acoustic a pedal guitar? that modulates it down to where it sounds like a bass guitar.
1: It sounds like an electric guitar. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Damn. And the pedal modulated it down.
1: Super I cool. I never would have guessed that. No. No, never. I didn't even know they were this
0: big into like the limit. I thought them being two people I was like, I didn't get it as a kid. I was like, why the fuck would they want to do that? And now I get it like as an adult I'm like holy shit they were actually trying to do something different. They really hadn't...
1: weren't going to put a bass up on that stage. They no
0: had, they, like, were, they were They actually like we're going to try to do something that hasn't been done. That's crazy. This is really not done. This is really when you think about music up to this point in the rock history no one thought about doing this. Yeah, No one thought about it. Um, But since we're ready here let's talk more about this song. Um one of the most iconic two thousand rock songs, maybe rock in general. I would say, um, YouTuber Middle Eight, who I listened to a piece for this. Um, he had a great, um, video essay, if you will, on this song and how it was like the last stadium rock song, like as in FIFA yeah, sports. Yeah, like this was the last time a line was created that like that. Where people could chant to. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. And then of course, there's the insanely catchy melody. And I do have a gripe. You know what grinds my gears? It's so fucking easy to play. Yeah. (laughs) When you get a guitar, you learn three songs. Three. Smoke on the Water, Nevermind, and Seven Nation Army. Yes. Why? Because it's a max five frets. And that's it. And it makes me mad because I'm like, as a songwriter, why the hell did I not think about that? The simpler, the better. Everyone complicates songs. Yes. And Jack's over here like, this sounds good. He also, this is really cool. He was going to save it for a, um, he said, I'm going to save this for a Bond theme if I ever do a Bond theme.
1: Why does everyone write a Bond theme without being asked to write a Bond theme? Well, here's the thing. So he gave up that. Years down the
0: road, he writes a Bond theme for Quantum Solace. Okay,
1: honestly, Seven Nation Army would have had a terrible Bond theme.
0: Yeah, no, it would not have been
1: good.
0: Going back to our threes, and this actually gets kind of bizarre. The album, it has to be the song. The song was number one on the billboard rock alternative for three straight weeks Mm -hmm. and it's also considered the third best performing song of the decade on like a chart they did i I didn't write down what the song was put out in 2003 the music video is triangles
1: this is yeah
0: with three skulls. anyway it's
1: cool but they're trying to impress a Taylor Swift fan that 13s sh- and everything. Okay, did like did they rig the billboard
0: so that she could stay up for 13 weeks?
1: They didn't rig it so they could stay up for three weeks. It well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's, that's what happened. I'm saying. She stayed up there for 13 weeks before. Shut up. Also, she did not. Almost every time she released something, it's it adds up to 13 or is on the 13th. That's
0: dumb. What's I mean? It's six? it's cool. It's cool. It's a dumb cool. Oh, it's tomorrow, a dumb. What, dumb cool.
1: Tomorrow is the 24th, right? Like, tomorrow only adds up to 12. Jeez. Anyway. It's the movies.
0: Well, critics love the song, the song album, whole deal. Uh, album got like four and five stars left and right. It peaks number six on the Billboard 200, the album itself. And that year, it won Best Alternative Album of the Year at the Grammys. I'm also throwing this out here. I don't have a good place to put this, but this is super interesting The album cover was different depending on where you were located and the medium that you purchased. That's cool. I'm going to grab this straight from Wiki. The album has been released with at least six different versions of the front cover. Different covers for the CD and LP editions in the U.S. and U.K. and elsewhere. To give an example, the U.S. CD edition, Meg is sitting on the left of the circus travel trunk and Jack is sitting on the right holding a cricket bat over the ground. While in the UK CD edition, the cricket bat touches the ground and the image is mirrored so that their positions on the amplifier are reversed. The UK vinyl album cover is the same as the US CD, but differs in that the color hues are much darker. The cryptic symbolism of the album art includes a skull sitting on the floor in the background, as well as peanuts and peanut shells in the foreground. And on the circus travel trunk appears the mark three um three roman new mm-hmm. jack white's signature jack white is i don't know what that is so i'm gonna skip it um but anyway yeah i'm gonna skip the rest because i don't think it's really relevant but also jack white had this to say about the packaging which i think is so cool They thought about this if you study the picture carefully meg and i are the elephant ears in a head-on elephant uh. But it's a side view of the elephant, too, with the tusk leaning off to the other side. He went on to say, I wanted people to be staring at this album cover. And then maybe two years later, having stared at it for the 500th time, say, hey, it's an elephant.
1: I got to look at this.
0: Isn't that, like, stupid creative? Like, I did not know. Well, I should have known because Jack White is one of the best, like, songwriters of our time. But, like... How stupid creative that is! I gotta look at it. That's yeah, fine.
1: It's loading.
0: I'm gonna take a sip of my drink.
1: Yeah, I can see it. It's very subtle, but I can definitely yeah. see it. They've got all the different versions on here.
0: Yeah, I was looking at them the other uh, today when I was finishing this. But as we have learned, with fame comes its trials. Not really for men, though, but definitely if you're a woman. Of course. And if you're a female drummer, get the fuck out of here. Forget it. And unfortunately, we see a shift in reporting. Um, Before we talk more in depth about that, let's get into their fifth album, Get Behind Me Satan. Before we cover that more in depth, as we talk about their fifth album, Get Behind Me Satan, it should be noted that, like, Jack is the spokesperson for the band. Not by, like, it's not a situation because people brought up, like, Jack is, like, forcing Meg to be quiet. It's actually not that at all. Like, Meg is just a super shy person. And she said that multiple times. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm just shy. She just is one of those people. She lets her work speak for herself. Mm-hmm. And she thinks too many words muddles everything Mm -hmm. it's like the more you let things speak for itself it solves itself so to speak but let's talk about the production of get behind me satan and then we're going to talk about the feedback she receives for this album they start trying a new way to do their three limiting music philosophy instead of guitar they try pianos and mandolin for a couple of the tracks um, I also find it interesting around this time that Jack starts a sideman called The Raconteurs, which I loved. I didn't know that was Jack White. Loved that album. Like I listened to it in the car all the time with my mom, surprisingly. Interesting. Um, but I feel like that album, if you hear it, you hear this album, mm-hmm. very same, similar directions. Should say same, similar directions. Um, The album was inspired by old Hollywood actress Rita Hayworth. Jack alluded to it in in an interview that Rita was Latina and changed her hair and name to pass as white or really I think the studio did. Mm -hmm. Um, He says that Rita being forced to give up her heritage for fame, quote, there's a hollowness of celebrity when it's thrown upon you, which I think is very wise statement. And. The album is about truth and putting in the truth that's behind you, which is really cool, which mm-hmm. is Get Behind Me, Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the name comes from. Um, Biggest hits off this is Blue Orchid and My Doorbell, which are great songs. As far as for accolades, it sold 850,000 copies. It was number three on the Billboard 200. Pretty well received. It got a Grammy for Best Alternative Album. But let's go ahead and get into the... The perception the shall we and there's not really much about like the critics about talking about the album I just know is well accepted but there seems to be a lot of information and critiques about Meg White and her drumming up to this point point. and it's just fascinating how some people felt the need to praise Jack White for his creative vision of simplicity and bringing creativity over limiting but Meg received a very seldom such comments. Some claimed her drumming was amateur and not up to par. After reading an article from NPR about Meg White's drumming, one point that sticks out to me is how her drums complemented Jack's guitar and vice versa. There's almost like this yin-yang effect yeah. with them. Um, when Jack would play like this ripping solo on the guitar, Her drumming is what would pull together the consistency that's in it, would pull it all together. And when he's playing blues, she's playing punk style riffs. So it just makes this really unique blend. And I would argue she just has a different drumming style altogether. It would just be noise if it was someone else. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It would just be noise because what Jack is doing is like he just is all over the place. So it just is like this perfect fit. And in an article, which I'm about to talk to talk about in a second, she said, quote, that is my strength. A lot of drummers would feel weird being that simplistic. And this isn't my addendum. A lot of those drummers she's referring to are men. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, but let's get into this interview I keep quoting. So it's from Rolling Stone in 2005, which in my opinion, the interview at, the interviewer, asked some of the most sexist questions and it became like a piece about Jack defending Meg and their process and I think the interview just couldn't get over the idea of a woman drumming mm-hmm. I really feel that way because this is one of the questions that was in this interview and this is a direct quote Are there times when Meg's style of drumming is too limiting that you can't take the song as far as you'd like to?
1: That sounds about right for 2005, though. Jeez. I was like reading. I was like, Jesus, man. What the hell are you
0: saying? It's 2005 media for you. Oh, jeez, Um. I mean, I like to give people the benefit of doubt, but there's just no way around it. That is a douchey question. And whoever this writer is, I really hope he's not working there anymore.
1: Probably not.
0: I hope he got fired. They
1: have gotten better
0: ish. Ish. But I will say this Jack White is a class act. When it comes to how he handles sexism about white stripes, I think he's a class act in general.
1: He's an unproblematic king.
0: He really, well, he had like a couple controversies. He got into a fight with a guy. And then there was rumors that spread around his second divorce where lawyers kind of muddled things. Other than that, he's a simple dude who just likes to live his life. And he's been friends with like the second wife. They're on good terms, a good friend still. Like it's a sign that he's a good untoxic person yes and we stand someone who's untoxic on the show so when he hears that question this is his response no i never thought god i wish neil pert was in the band it's kind of funny when people critique hip hop they're scared to open up for fear of being called racist but they're not scared to open up on female musicians out of pure sexism
1: it's true though
0: and then he goes on to say meg is the best part of this band ooh I love it. That's what I'm saying. This man, they're not even, like, married anymore. And he still yeah. stands by her. Like well, she's his
1: creative partner for, like, yeah, life.
0: Yeah, exactly. It just makes me happy to see, like, people in the 2000s saw what it was and called yeah. it out. Because um, I think we don't remember that being kids then. We just kind of saw it and, like, kind of clamored, or at least I did. So it's cool to see. Um, but it doesn't really end there, of course. Uh, the topic of them saying on stage and in interviews that they were brother and sisters, which to this point news had broken that they were actually divorced. (laughs) Surprise. I will say this, yeah, it's different that they lied about it, but their response actually makes complete sense why they did this. Um, Quote, I want you to imagine if we had presented ourselves in another fashion that people might have thought was the truth, how would we have been perceived right off the bat? When you see a band that is two pieces, husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, you think, oh, I see when they're brother and sister, you go, oh, that's interesting. You care more about the music, not about the relationship. That's fair. Whether they're trying to save the relationship from being in the band together. So you don't think about a brother and sister. They're made it for life, so to speak. That's what family is like. That, once again, is a genius move them to do that like to just be like you know what we're gonna say this because we want people to focus on the music I love that so much and regardless it's not just the Rolling Stone interviewer that is bringing his biases into this world Meg is just up to this point living in a cloud of people critiquing her and loving Jack yep praising Jack critiquing her it's an absolutely shitty environment and completely undeserved. And so fortunately, we arrived to their last album as a duo called Icky Thump. So for this, they went back to their punk garage band feel. Jack said this album was about, quote, feeling positive about being live, taking deep breaths and just being really happy, which is nice. You don't hear that very it's often. A good vibe. Yeah. The album itself was very well received. It's certified gold. It went on to win the Best Alternative album. From the Grammys, which if you're counting at home, that's three Grammys throughout their career. It's pretty good. Yeah. Three. Three Grammys. Mm. Three, You see? Anyway, they go on tour and I think they started in Canada and then moved on to the U.S. But 18 days left in the tour, the shows are canceled. Mm. And the reason is because Meg is suffering from acute anxiety, which I'm surprised she went as long as she did, honestly, because I wouldn't have made it that long if I was in her shoes. Yeah. But guess what? If you've listened to our podcasts, as we've covered musicians across spectrums and genders and everything in between, there is a thread line that often follows in these situations. The artist gets super famous. Mm
1: -hmm. They
0: have anxiety and or depression. They don't do anything about it. They end up causing harm to themselves or even worse,
1: Mm -hmm. fatality.
0: So Meg set the tone before people were listening, that you and your health comes first, and she did made the really brave choice to be like, we can't keep going because I can't keep going. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, and after this, the band goes on hiatus for a bit, and unfortunately, in twenty eleven, the band officially breaks up. Which, at that point, they were kind of all doing their different things yeah, anyway.
1: They had their own project
0: Yeah, as far as for legacy. There is a story that many missed and I missed in the 2000s. Like I mentioned, as a kid who was just starting to get into the scene, I didn't like the White Stripes, which I was wrong for, because they were too, quote, simple for me, and they didn't have a bass guitar. Like, ew. Um, (laughs) How dare they? How dare they? And I know I'm not the only ones who felt that way during the time. Looking back, the band got a lot of praise, but a lot of flack for their unique art style, But no one bore the brunt of it as much as Meg did. To this day, Meg stays completely out of the limelight. Which, good for her. Like, she doesn't do interviews. She's not a part of another band. Nothing. And if that's what she loves, if that's what she wants to do, I am so happy for her. Go somewhere else that you're going to be treated like the queen that you are. You do you. Yeah. I don't need reasons, though I can deduce probably why. I'm just happy for her. But I really hope over time, we just see kind of the beauty of Meg's drumming. Um, In an article I cited from NPR, they alluded to her loud, boisterous drumming as her voice. Mm. That's all she needed to say. And it's also a reminder that you don't owe anyone anything. You don't owe them a reason why you decide to keep quiet. You don't owe them a reason why. I mean, even though she had anxiety, I'm very proud of her for saying that. If she had said it, I would have been fine without it. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't owe anyone a reason why you're not in the limelight anymore. So we need to remember Meg's story right and how she was the glue and consistency that pulled the white stripes into the music it became. So Meg, wherever you are, and if for some reason you're listening to this, which I doubt, I am bringing before the council your application for our patron sainthood. My suggested title is St. Meg White, the Resolute.
1: Oh, I like that.
0: Sorry, Jack. I'm sure you understand.
1: <laughs> this is a girls only club. Sorry. Yeah,
0: sorry. To St. Meg White.
1: To St. Meg. Thanks for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Good Pods. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website at shiwarocku.com. There you'll find our socials, show notes, ways to contact us, and links to our merch. And remember, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs.